you know, I'd rather be here worshiping the Lord than anywhere else. Because meeting the Lord, walking with the Lord, when you learn to do it, and that's what we're going to talk about a bit tonight, learning to do it. When you learn to do it, life is wonderful. Not without problems, not without difficulties, but you're victorious, you're at peace, uh, things are good. Amen? Amen? Amen. We're going to um, talk about the next four messages that I do on generosity, because we have a, uh, uh, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons we have a building we're building down on Cumberland, and uh, we're going to be receiving some money to go toward that. Um, how do you know the buildings don't just pop up? Right? They don't just appear. And uh, so we're, we need to raise about $300,000. We've already raised probably, I haven't looked at it for a while, probably $2 million or so went toward it. But we need about another $300,000. will put us in great shape so that when we move in, we'll have a very manageable mortgage that we will pay off quickly. And I'll talk to you about that another time. But um, paying mortgages off is something we've done really well around here. So we get it down. We raise $300,000 more. We'll, have a, we'll be in great shape. We'll get that paid off. Uh, within a few years after we move in, and then we'll be in fantastic shape, preparing one day to build up on Pritchard, okay? So you've got to get a vision for your life. You've got to get a dream for your life. You've got to start believing God for something bigger than just what you got, amen? Now, let me start by reading a verse. I'm going to read it from a few different translations so you can get the heart of God in... Um, uh, Psalm chapter 51 and verse 12. Psalm 51 verse 12. Uh, I don't think they have it in the back room, but you don't have to keep up with me. I'm just going to read it in, in a few different translations. That's good. And um, listen to what it says. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. So the psalmist is saying to God, uphold me by your generous spirit. That's the New, King, the New King James. The New Living says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Make me willing to obey you. The New English translation says, Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. The NIV says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, when you read these verses, you, know, you, you, you got to understand, when you read the Bible, it was written in, two, in different languages. It wasn't written in English. The Bible was not written in English. So that's why there's some different connotations and words used to describe from the original language when they translate it into, into English. And you can see that a willing spirit and um, a desire to obey and please God are synonymous Okay, give me a willing spirit, give me an obedient spirit, give me a spirit to obey you. They're synonymous. They go, they go hand in hand, willingness and uh, generosity, a, a generous spirit, and uh, they just go hand in hand. They work together. Now, to illustrate what, what I want to do, I'm going to talk about a principle tonight that really covers more than generosity. It covers your life, but generosity is in it. You'll see when we, when we get to the end. Generosity is one of the qualities... What did the verse say? Lord, uphold me by your generous spirit. The Lord is generous. Come on, Jesus is generous. You're here because of his generosity. So we're going to look at, a, we're going to look at, at something here tonight that will show you the importance of pursuing the Lord with your life. 
the importance of you being a, a person who goes for God with everything so you can become the kind of person God wants you to be because in that place, in that place is where you experience a heart for God and it, it involves a whole lot of things, including generosity. So we're gonna deal with that principle so you can see it. Um, so it deals with a lot more, but it does deal with generosity. So we're gonna contrast Olivia and Jill, I want to let you know there are three kinds of people in this world. That's an inside joke we got going. And I'm going to show you three kinds of people on the overhead, okay? Three kinds of people. Now, we've used this illustration before, and I just want to run it through. Some of you haven't seen it. Some of you, some of you have seen it. Um, on the left, we have a person, the, the, the circle represents a person, the spots just represent life, you know, the issues of life, aligning our life with the Lord and living our life well and, and just, you know, being at peace and being victorious in our life. And, and you see the person on the left who's unsaved, their life is out of order. You see there's a, a chair, let's call that, a, that the, the driver's seat of your life, and, and you've got self is in control and the Lord, you see the cross outside of their life. So it's a, 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 just a simple illustration of an unsaved person. They're living their life, and, and life could be better, and they're in control of their life. They haven't met the Lord yet. Now, the second one in the middle, you see a Christian who has met the Lord. They've gotten saved. Their life is out of order still. They just got saved. The Lord is in their life, but here's the problem. You see where the cross is? They haven't yet given the Lord control. He's in their life. These people, these people know the God of salvation. Now, every one of us start on the left. Every one of us were unsaved. There's no such thing as being born saved. Okay, we're all unsaved. We're all the left circle. We are all the middle circle. Every one of us, you know, you get saved and... The Lord's in your life, but life is still life. Now, what we do with that is going to determine the quality of our walk with God. Every Christian is born equally, but they all don't end equally. Now, the third one, there's a person who's learned to put the Lord, you notice who's in control of that life? They've put the Lord in control. They live a life to please the Lord. They, they want to make God happy with their life. They're sensitive to the, to the Spirit of God. They want to do the right things to live right. And as a result, their life begins to line up with the Word of God. Their life begins to line up with the things of God. Life begins to fall into order. The, the, the bad things that were causing all kinds of problems in our lives, all of a sudden, they're not there any longer. And life starts to get together. I'll tell you, my life is a whole lot better over here on the right than it was over there on the left as you learn, but there's a group in the middle. We all go through it, and unfortunately, some Christians live there, and fortunately, some get through there. But we all go there. Nobody's exempt from it. Every one of us start on one, we go into two, some of us make it to three. Okay, I want to explain that to you, because three is where a lot of exciting things happen. A lot of exciting things happen when you get to number three, when you develop that as a, as a lifestyle. So that number three, those people know the God of transformation. 
Number two, they know the God of salvation. But number three, they know the God of transformation. Their life has been transformed. Their life has been changed. Their life is not the same. So let me explain a few things here. We'll go to um, number one. Just talk about number one for a moment. Let me say this before I do. The, the, The goal of every Christian... Every Christian, the goal of every Christian should be to pursue Christ-likeness. That's our goal, to pursue Christ-likeness. Now, I'll tell you right now, those who get stuck in number two, they tend not to do that. That's why they're stuck. They tend not to do that. They get stuck in in number two. So we'll explain uh, that to you in just a moment. But our goal, every one of us should be living a life that we want to make the Lord happy and become more like him day by day, month by month, year by year. We become more like him. So we all start at the same place. Nobody has any advantage over anybody else. It's all an issue of faith and trust, okay? Now, number one here, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time here because I think you guys understand an unsaved person. Anybody not get unsaved? Okay, we all should understand it. You know, unsaved... Um, but when you're not walking with the Lord, you know, your, your way of thinking isn't aligned with God, your attitudes, your habits, your desires, that's everything. It's not aligned with God. It's not pleasing to the Lord. Um, our, our life is out of order. Things are messed up. You know, I, I remember after I, got, um, uh, after I got saved, honestly, the first thing I remember, probably the very next day, and, uh, and as I started walking with God, a brand new Christian, I remember thinking, like, every thought I have is wrong. That's one of the first things that, that, that the, the, the Lord showed me. Everything I'm thinking is wrong. I am a mess, right? Um, so when you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you're not walking with the Lord, life tends to get messed up, and we get shaped. Our life gets shaped by our sin nature and by the sinful world we live in. So my sin nature desires to do the wrong thing, and it does the wrong thing, and then I reap the the consequences of doing the wrong thing. And people around me do wrong things to me. And circumstances go wrong, and I don't know how to handle that. And I get abused, and I get misused, and I get mistreated, and, and, and life begins to happen. And as a result, that's kind of what we look like. It's, it's just not very good. Now, some people cope with it better than other people. Some people try to make it look better than other people. But the reality is, if you're standing before God one day, and in your that condition compared to a loving, perfect God, you're a mess. You're a mess. And that's where everybody is, whether they acknowledge it, understand it, see it, or not. The life of an unsaved person. Now, if we go to the, to the first Christian. Now, this person, they know the God of salvation. They've received the Lord. He's in their life now. He's not outside any longer. They prayed the prayer. He's in their life. And they've got the Lord living in their life. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great opportunity. But you've got to understand a, a couple things. After praying to receive the Lord in your life, so you say that prayer, and you were sincere, you were honest, you were legit, you, and the Holy Spirit, you invited him, and he came in. The next day when you wake up, absolutely nothing has changed as far as experience goes. Experientially, the only way you know to live is number one. That's all you know. That's all I knew. That's all I ever did. I don't know. That's why the Bible refers to us when you become a Christian. The Bible refers to us as newborn babes. 
We're like newborn babies. I don't know. You, you ever seen a baby that knows what to do? They're lost. They don't know what to do. And so we as people, we were living number one. That's how we knew to live. Now we get saved. I wake up the next day. The only thing I know is number one. My life hasn't changed. That's who I am. I've got to learn. I'm a newborn baby. I've got to learn to walk with the Lord. I've got to learn that. It's a learned thing. It doesn't just, you know, how many know you didn't just wake up one day and you try to find a, a mountain to move, right? It's a learned thing. Now, um, we, need to, we, we, we need to learn to walk with the Spirit of God. Now, understand what happens at salvation. The Bible tells us that people, all of us, have a body, soul, and spirit, Okay? Our body is obvious. Our soul is really what you see of the person, the personality, the characteristics. And the spirit is that part we don't see. That spirit is kind of in there. Now, the Bible tells us that our spirit is dead in trespasses and sin. Our spirit is dead. That's why people um, do what we do. We, 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 our spirit in us is died in sin. It's dead. When we're born, it's dead. Our spirit is not alive. When we invite the Holy Spirit to come into our life, we pray for salvation and the Lord comes into our life. The Spirit of God does an absolutely amazing thing. He comes and begins to take up residence in you and I. He comes to live in us. And when he comes in, the Bible says he touches our spirit and there's a resurrection life takes place and our spirit comes back to life. It's awesome. That's where you get, that's the born again. You got to be born again. Your spirit. Uh, remember the, the, the Pharisee said, well, how do you climb back in your mother's womb? You can't do that. And Jesus said, you idiot. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's not your, you don't get born again by going back into your mother's womb. Your spirit is reborn now. Now you've got the spirit of God living in you. Your spirit is alive. You are a newborn baby and you need to learn to walk and live the spiritual life. And there's the beginning. Now, at the beginning, experientially, nothing has changed. You don't know how to live. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to think. That's why I, I think everything I think is wrong. It's evil. It's wrong. What's the heck the matter with me? I, I don't have a right thought in my head. I didn't know what to do. But at the same time, I have the potential to totally transform my life. I don't know how to live yet. I haven't learned. I'm a newborn baby. I don't know what to do. But I have a helper now called the Holy Spirit who now is in communion with my spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to nudge my spirit and says, stop thinking that way. And I go, yeah, you're right. I got to stop thinking that way. And that's called spiritual growth. That's called faith. Listening and obeying, trusting that God knows better. Now, many people get stuck in number two because they never learn to walk the spiritual life. And I'm going to talk about that for a moment and show you some of the dangers and some of the pitfalls that can happen. I'm not saying this will happen to everybody. I'm not saying everybody that gets stuck in number two is like the examples I'm going to give. But what I am saying, out of number two, you put your spiritual life at risk if you live in number two, your spiritual life is at risk, okay? Now, they know the God of salvation, okay? They know him. They've been, 
They've been born again. Their spirit has come back to life. But now we have to learn. You, 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 you have to learn obedience to the spirit. I um, was driving in tonight with Olivia and Jill, and um, I think it was Olivia made the comment about, you know, I kind of like the idea of getting my nose pierced one day, but I know I can't. Um, I know my mom and dad don't want me to, but you know what she said to me? I want to be one day a leader in Elevate, and I know that that's a standard that we have, and that I won't be able to be a leader if I get my nose pierced. Uh, Good for you. Good for you. You're listening to something greater than just your fleshly desire for something to suit and look what everybody else looks like. I want to explain a principle to you. You you got to get it here. Everybody and everything has standards. If you work at McDonald's, they have standards. You'll get to dress a certain way, cook the food a certain way. They have standards. The steel companies that make steel, they have standards. I used to work in them one time, and occasionally the, uh, the, the, a guy would come by, and he'd tell them to shut down the line that's making the steel. In this case, it was, it was tin, uh, thin, thin rolls of tin. He'd tell them to shut down the line. They'd cut a piece out of it. They'd take it back to the lab, and they'd do a test on it to make sure it was up to standard. <coughs> they got to have standards, because you don't have standards, your appliances would fall apart. If you didn't have standards on the seal, you'd be seeing buildings crumbling all around us. Because by human nature, they would take shortcuts to do it less. They wouldn't do it better. So you have to have standards to make things work properly. Any business with no standards doesn't stay in business. They just don't. You don't survive without standards. But you know, it's only Christians I've seen criticize the church for having standards. And if any people should have standards, it should be people representing Jesus Christ to the world. If anybody should have standards, high standards. So we set standards in place to try to have a good quality church because we want to offer something different to the world. We want to let them know you can have a great life. You don't have to imitate what's out there. You can come and walk with God and your life can be awesome. You don't need all these things. But listen to me, listen. One of the great things that standards do for us, it reveals the heart. So when we have a standard, let's say for Elevate and about having your nose pierced or a hairstyle or tattoos or other piercings or whatever it may be, listen, it's rarely about the tattoo or the piercing or the hair. It's about the heart. What those things reveal is rebellion or selfishness in the heart of a person who doesn't want to live up to them. Well, we don't want to put a person in leadership that has a selfish, rebellious heart because the Bible says rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And we don't want witches leading our young people. Because God sees it as rebellion. He sees it as a heart of witchcraft. A rebellion is like, a, like the equal to practicing witchcraft. Stand, it's a heart issue. So when people get upset, well, how come I can't have this? Or how come I can't? You know what that's doing for me is revealing hearts. Standards help us to see the heart condition of people because we want to develop strong, charactered men and women full of faith that can make a difference in the world they live in. Not anybody just has any old wishy-washy standard. Everything goes. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible said in the Old Testament, they all did that which was right in their old eyes, in in their own eyes, and God wasn't pleased. The the country was a mess at the time because everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. 
So you need standards, you need values in place. Christian one has a difficult time with these things. Those who get stuck. Now, what if every, every one of us are Christian one at one point in time. I'm talking about those who get stuck in number one. They have a hard time. Now, let me give you a few of the things that I've noticed over the years. And I want to be careful because living in number one, like I said, we all go through it. The idea is to get out of it. Okay, we all get there. Every single one, 100% of Christians has been at level one, circle one. You got to be careful because um, level one, if you stay there, you put your walk, it exposes your walk with God to terrible things, and you put your walk with God at risk. That's why you got to be careful. I'll show you some examples. Level one, just give you a few things. There's too many to mention because it's, it's human. It could be anything with anybody, but I'll give you a few that I've noticed over the years with people. Um, when you get stuck in level one, you risk being spiritually immature. As a matter of fact, you don't risk it, it's guaranteed. You, you will be spiritually immature if you get stuck in, in, in number one. See, number one people lack discernment. Now, here's one of the main problems with number one. They're filtering their life through the mindset of the unsaved person. Because they haven't learned to let God take control of their mind. Renew your mind so you may prove what is a good and acceptable will of God. They're not letting the Lord renew them and refresh them and revitalize them and change the way they live and change the way they think. So life is being filtered through the old way of thinking, through the old man. Even though Christ is in their life, he doesn't have a lot of impact in their life. And they continue to think the wrong way. And they remain spiritually immature as a result. They don't grow in the word of God. They don't, they don't grow and, and mature and, and develop. They don't understand uh, basic principles because they're, they're not studying it. They're not learning it. They don't have a hunger for it. They're not growing in it. They're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They're not paying attention and changing. So, so I'll give you a little example. I watch happen over and over and over and over. This is so ridiculous. It happens so frequently. You'd think at some point in time, somebody would know that this is going to happen. Gossip and criticism. Gossip and criticism. That's as normal to an unsaved human being as breathing. Gossip and criticism is what we do. Now you get saved. If you don't start to change, I'm what you do, you just revert back to the, 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 the lifestyle you know, the way of living you know, if you don't begin to change. We've all done it. The idea is to get out of it. So I've watched this sort of thing happen. A person begins to gossip and criticize. And then there's always those immature people who are stuck at number two who listen. And, they're, and next thing you know, they're, they're upset with the church. They're upset with the C group leader. They're upset with a, a friend. They're upset with the pastor. They're upset about something because they automatically believe the lie that is being spoken to them. They have no spiritual immaturity to fight it off. There's nothing there because they're not used to fighting off. They're used to just living their way they've been living. They're, they're not allowing the Spirit of God to take control of their mind and their thinking and, and change things. They're used to handling it naturally. And, and they hear things. And, you know, people, people come to me and say, you know, I've heard some negative things. I'm thinking of leaving the church. And I, you know, what's the, I want to know, what's, you know what's, what's the matter with the church? You know what I say to people? Maybe it isn't the church. Maybe it's the people you're listening to. Yeah. Ever think of that? 
maybe we got some immaturity taking place, but you two are, you're so immature, you don't understand what's taking place at all because your immaturity is just overwhelming us. That'll happen. You'll get stuck in immaturity if you're not careful. Now, we all go through it. We all experience it. It's getting past it. Right? It's getting past it. Give you one little, uh, wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. One little satanic trick that he uses in churches all the time. This, and I'll tell you now, and I, I know I'm going to tell you, and I know some of you aren't going to listen. And you're going to fall for it. But I'll give it to you anyhow, help you. A trick Satan uses all the time. Usually when you're involved in church life, the biggest critics are another Christian. I've only seen a small amount of people lose their faith over unsaved people criticizing them, but I've seen numerous lose their faith over listening to the gossip of another Christian. He loves using Christians who are stuck at level, uh, the, the first circle, uh, the second circle. He loves using Christians who only know the God of salvation. The enemy uses them all the time. If you listen, you see, you expose yourself to a satanic lying spirit when you listen to this stuff. So it's always good to handle it biblically and get to the source and get an answer with the right attitude. Deal with it that way. Don't listen to lies because Satan is the father of lies. So get the info. Don't get stuck in level one and become a, be spiritually immature. Number two is selfish. Immature people is selfishness. Selfishness is a mark of immaturity. And of Christians who get stuck in this, I watched it over and over, they, they tend to be self-centered. It tends to be all about them. They're looking at what God can do for them. They're looking, it's all about them. They're not seeking to please God and live for God. They're living for themselves. And, and they need to be, be careful because every, everything is self-focused. And what happens with selfish people, they get disillusioned often when it doesn't go their way. And it doesn't go their way. So what do they do? They start criticizing. They get mad. They, they, they point fingers there. They point fingers there. The one thing they rarely do is stand in a mirror to see where the problem really is. They rarely ever do that. Because they're too busy identifying all the problems with other people. So we, you know, we all got to get by it. Selfishness. You know, developing that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God, learning to walk in obedience, learning to get past it, and learning to get our life lined up with God. That's, that's the goal of every, of every Christian. So you don't want to get stuck here because there are too many things that can go wrong. I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying everybody who's there, this happens to, but you run the risk of this happening to you. And, and why live that way when you can live victorious? You with me here? I'll give you another little thing. Look, let's just, let's just have some fun. I watched tonight, and I thought Evie did a great job, and I think she gave a great exhortation tonight. You know what disappoints me is that she had to give the exhortation. You shouldn't need the worship leader to prod you to raise your hands or dance or clap or sing. The Holy Spirit should be prodding you to raise your hands and clap and sing. And if, listen to me, if you're disobedient to the Holy Spirit in this environment, don't kid me for a second that you're obeying him out there. You're not. You're not. If you can't obey him here, where obeying is as easy as falling off a log, you're not obeying him out there with his pressure. Right? So you learn. You, you learn. I, you, think I, you, know, you think I feel like doing this every time I come to church? I'm, you know, I can't wait to get to church again. 
You're human. You don't. But you know what you do? God wants me to come to church. God wants me to worship. God wants me to preach. God wants me to care for people. God wants me to do this and do that. I'm going to do it. Not because I feel like it all the time, because I've learned how to obey God. It's not about me. It's about pleasing God. I'll have an eternity to reap the rewards of serving God. I don't have to worry about it today. God, but you got to have faith to believe that. If you don't believe that, you'll just focus on yourself. Number three, they tend to get a critical, judgmental spirit. If you get stuck, you can develop a critical, judgmental spirit. And uh, I'll just quickly say this, that people who get stuck in that level one Christian they tend to be the most critical and judgmental of those that are moving on. Rarely are they critical of somebody who's like them because you know why? They're hanging out together. They're critical of the ones who are moving on and doing something for God and making a difference and making an impact and taking a stand for what's right and you know, doing the right stuff. And you got to be careful. You don't want to have that critical, judgmental spirit. And that's where learning to develop that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit I've got to learn how to respond. Here's what the Bible says. I've got to learn to do it, whether I feel like it or not. If you only live out of your feelings, you will live your life with circle number two. If you live out of feelings, you have to learn to live by faith. Okay? The fourth one, the final one here, is they, they will develop a religious spirit. If you stay there, you run the risk of being a religious person. A religious person is somebody who thinks that they're walking with God, but in reality, they're controlled by the old nature. They say the right things, they look the right things, they, you know, they act the right way, but their heart isn't there. Their heart's not there. They're not into it with their heart. They're not, and, and, they, and, and, and they, they become religious. They may come to church. They may do different things, but their heart's not in it. But they, but they look the part. That's, that's a religious person when there's not a a heart response, a faith response to the, to the Lord as a lifestyle. They know God intellectually, but they're limited in their experience with God. They're not paying attention. When the Holy Spirit says, stop it, they're not listening. So eventually, they don't even know the Holy Spirit's talking anymore because they're just so used to not listening. That's how you get stuck, right? That's how you get stuck in, in, that, in that place. Jesus said this, Matthew 15 and verse 8. He was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees who weren't his biggest supporters, right? And he says this, speaking to them, he says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They look the part, they're they're the religious leaders of your country, they're doing all the stuff, they've learned the scriptures, they quote them, they tell you how to live, just one problem with these guys, their heart is nowhere near pursuing me. And he only, you got to understand it, you got to get it. Listen, Jesus went and hung around with the scum of society. Those that were rejected, those that were cast off, tax collectors were considered the absolute scum of the country because they were they aligned, they were Jews who had aligned their life with the Romans who were occupying the country, and the Jews hated them because they'd also take taxes and give some to the Romans and then take extra for their own pocket. The Jews hated them. Jesus hung out with them. Prostitutes he hung out with. People we would look down at and, and, and scour at and just have no use for and, and belittle them have, and just write them off, they were Jesus' friends. Those were the people he cared for. 
He got together with them, did good things for them, looked after them, prayed for them, fed them, ministered, did all kinds of great things for them. Then, then, he gets around these religious guys and he gave it to them. He gave it to them. He called them names. He called them things. He pointed inconsistencies out. He pointed lies out to the point where they killed him. They were that angry with him. They said, we're going to kill this guy. We got to get rid of this guy. Not because he loved prostitutes, because he challenged their hypocrisy. And it happens this day too. Religious spirit people hate spiritual people. Because it challenges the hypocrisy. They, they, they see something different. Say the right things, do the right things. But don't take on the characteristics of Christ. Okay? Now, I will warn you this. What I've watched is telling you from experience... These people can become the problem. Listen, I've spent my life helping people. I love it. I met with a guy today. You know, he thought he was inconveniencing me. Look, I said, I could do this. You want to do this all day? I'll meet with you. No problem at all. This is what I do. I love doing it. I want to help you. I want to see your life get better. I love doing it. He's a person with some problems. I love helping people with problems. I love it. I'd rather, I would rather sit down and talk to a person with a problem who really wants help than do what I'm doing right now. I'd rather do that. But then you have problem people. And there is a huge difference between a problem person and a people problem. And problem people is one of the things I hate about this job. Because they don't want help. Because they're stuck. They don't want to get out of there. They're stuck. Sometimes they don't even know that's where they are, but they're stuck. I'll help people all day long. I love meeting people, helping people, trying to get their life on track, trying to get them going. But when you meet a problem person, they are the problem. Thank God there's not a lot of that that happens. Now, hasn't this been very positive so far? I hope you're built up and encouraged. (laughs) Just take this as a godly warning. Okay? Just a warning. Because the truth is, everybody in our church ends up in circle number two. We want to see everybody get to the next circle. But some don't. So I'm just trying to warn you now, because if you choose that as a lifestyle, you're asking for trouble. You're, you're, you're setting yourself up for, for a spiritual disaster, but it will never be your fault. It's always somebody else's fault. That's what I've, These people, it's never their fault. Never their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Number three, they accept responsibility. That's how they get to where they're going. They know, I blew it. That was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And number two, people are saying, I knew it. He was like that. I knew it. I knew all about him. Finally, he saw it himself. But they changed. Number three people begin to change. So let's try to leave you on a good note today. And we'll talk about number three people, okay? Number three. Now, these are people who meet the Lord. Um, oh, oh, let me, I wanted to give this, this, this down as well. What I've watched over the years, I've watched this happen. Problem or circle two people 
fall away from the Lord, go from church to church, and run into more problems than, uh, than ever you see with number three. A number three person is rarely, you know, I was talking to my wife the other day. I said, can you help me think about this? I want to try to think of a number three circle who's been a problem. Not had a problem, been a problem. We couldn't come up with a name. I've been doing this for over 30 years. I couldn't think of somebody who's been a problem person who made it to number three. I've had problems. We all have problems. I got problems. Afterwards, you can come and help me. Okay? We all got problems. But rarely, rarely is a number three circle a problem person. And that's a huge, huge, huge difference. Problem, you'll see number three people are awesome people. I thank God for every number three circle in this church. Because you number three circles make a radical difference. You've got a heart after. You're the, you're the ones who are going to turn things upside down. You're going you're to change the world. You're going to change the city. You're going to change your community. You're going to change the workplace. You're going to change things. People are going to get saved because of you. Marriage is going to be better because of you. Kids are going to grow up and serve God because of you. Number three people make a difference. So let's get to the number three people before you all run out of here depressed. <laughs> so circle number two, the third, uh, Christian number two, the third circle. These people know the God of transformation. Okay? The God of transfer. Their life is being, is, and being is continuing to be transformed. That's what's happening to these, uh, the third circle, the number two Christians. Now, these ones are fulfilled in their relationship with God. It doesn't mean life is going perfect for them all the time, but they're fulfilled in their walk with God. They're learning how to be victorious. They're learning how to listen to the, um, <clears throat> to the Spirit of God and, and be victorious with their life. I've talked to Christians who are struggling, and sometimes they imply that somebody doing well, life has been easier for them. And I'll say it's been no easier for them at all. Let me tell you some of the things they've been through. They've just learned how to handle it. They've learned how to walk with God. They've learned how to bring God into their life and obey God and respond to God, and the life starts falling in place, and things start to go well, and they learn how to overcome the things that would otherwise try to push them down and, and destroy them. So... These people are making an eternal difference. They, 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 they know God. Their life is being changed. They're on fire. They, they, they go out and do radical things like bike drive one year, then a bike drive another year. And don't be surprised if Living Hope starts to do an annual bike drive that's impacting city uh, ch- churches, uh, schools all through our city because some radical number three people said, let's go make a difference with our life. Okay? That's how it happens. You, there is no such thing as a radical number two. But the radical number three, get out of their way because they're making a difference. They are making a difference. Let me see, show you some of the things that I've seen with the number and how, how you get there, how you can get to a, should say more, how you can get to be a number three circle, okay? First thing is the desire for God. Listen to this in 1 Peter Two, verse 2, you need a hunger and a longing and a desire for God. It says this in 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It says, as here we are, the, the, the babies, being just babies, desire the pure milk of the word. You look at the concept of desire, it's all through scripture. And what, what, what it says, you know what the word means, desire? It means to intensely crave, earnestly desire, and long after. 
you want it. You know, I've met people, I've said, you know, what you need, they've got a problem. I said, well, you need to go home and like, you need to learn how to have a devotion time every day and, and meet God. You've got to have an experience with God and, and, uh, and meet him. And they come back to me two weeks later, a month later, said, you know, I tried, but it's not working. I said, what do you mean? It's not, you're telling me God's not working? That's what you just said to me. It's not working. Here's the problem. They're, they're, they tried, but they didn't try long enough. They didn't have a strong enough desire to get from two to three. It wasn't burning. It wasn't longing. You know what? They're like a drowning person that you throw the ring to, and they scramble to try to get to it, and then they say, I can't reach it. I'm going to drown. Any drowning person I've seen, they don't give up. They go down. They may go down. They may not reach it, but they don't stop until they get to that thing. That's what he's saying. You've got to have a desire. You've got to have a burning longing in your heart for God. It comes out of having a strong desire to please the Lord. You know, as a young Christian, I remember after I got saved, um, I, I mean, I'm just days after. I'm still, you know, over there in Afghanistan. I don't know up from down spiritually. I'm, I'm clueless. I just got saved. And I remember thinking to myself, I said this thing for the first number of days, maybe weeks. I said to myself, I'm not going to fail God. I have failed at everything in life. I am not going to fail walking with God. I'm going to make it walking with God. Well, I, know, I didn't know then, but I know now. That was the Spirit of God in me. I didn't have that attitude. I was used to losing. I was, I was a failure. I was used to not doing well. That's why I was all messed up on drugs and traveling around the world. And the Holy Spirit comes into my life. Next thing you know, I've developed an attitude. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to let God down. I come back home, and it's still there to this day. I, I, I'm intending on going to the grave with that attitude. Still got it after all these years. Hasn't, hasn't gone away, hasn't dissipated at all. I want to please God with my life. I remember I, I came home, found a church, started going to church. And I hear people talk about hearing God. You know, God spoke to me and said this, and, and then God spoke to me and this happened. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I've never heard God. I've never heard him speak to me. What do you mean he's speaking to you? God talks to you? I remember getting a longing in my heart, saying, God, talk to me. I, uh, I want to hear you more than anything else. I just want to hear you. Just talk to me. Direct me. I want to know that you are directing my life. And it's just a burning, longing desire in my life that wouldn't go away until I learned how to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and could hear the Spirit of God speaking to me. A longing, a desire that I'm not, I, I, I got to have this. I won't be satisfied until I get this. You know, I got talking to, to Lorenzo. I love what's happening in Lorenzo's life. I tell you, this guy is growing leaps and bounds. And um, you know, he got up here and shared last week. about he's the one who Matt kind of assigned to like, you put together the bike drive. And that's getting him right out of his comfort zone. He stood up here and spoke. Remember somebody asked him last week, did this put you out of your comfort zone? He said, standing here, I'm out of my comfort zone, you know? People at, who are moving into circle three, they're used to being out of your comfort zone. That's where you live. Because otherwise, if you're going to stay comfortable, well, you stay in number two, because that's what you're used to. You have to be uncomfortable to get to number three. There's no other way. After the service last week, I went and talked to Lorenzo. I said, good job putting that together. You carried yourself well up here. Way to go. Awesome. He said, I got to tell you what happened to me. Back last fall, he was at the cell leader retreat up in, at, at Brad and Brenda's place in Rastul with the guys. 
And he said to me, you read a verse. You read John 15, 16. Jesus said, I've chosen you that you might bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Now, we've heard that. How many have heard that a zillion times? Right? He had a longing in his heart. He was saying to me, you know, I just, I asked him again this morning. I saw him in the cafe. I said, Lorenzo, what, what, were you, what was going on in your life before that? He said, I just, I just wanted God. I just, I wanted my life to count. I, I, I just, you know, I wasn't, I had this, this holy, you know, just kind of frustration in my life. I wanted more from God. I, I wanted, I want to know that my life's counting for God. That was going on in my life. He said, you read that verse. It's got nothing to do with me reading the verse. Read the verse. And he said, that verse came alive to me. It just came off the page. It came into my heart. It transformed my life. I am a different person since that verse. We've heard it hundreds of times. See? That's what happened to him. And when that begins to grip your heart, see, when the word of God begins to grip you, you've got such a longing for God, you won't be satisfied until you meet him. You don't come back and say it didn't work. You don't stop until it works. Because God's waiting for you with open arms to help you and to bring you along and to, 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 to get you there. And, and that's what he did. And as a result, he's doing great things for God that he never dreamt he would ever. He told me he's sharing his faith. He's, he said at the retreat, he, at the thing, he says, you know, you ask the guys to kind of aim, you know, have a goal of how many guys do you think maybe you can reach this year in your cell group? And, he said, boy, I hadn't added anybody really for a year. And so, so I said about, I thought one. The one's a good stretch. One or two would really be pushing it for me. He said, I've, this year I've added about 10 guys. Because of Lorenzo? No, no. Because of God working through Lorenzo. Because Lorenzo moved on in his walk with God and just, you know, this doesn't, you know, this isn't like, you know what I mean? This isn't like rooms you walk into. It's, it's all muddled up, right? And he, and he moves into that level three area, that third circle area, knowing God in a new way. You know, he said he's sharing. I love that he said to me today, he says, when I talk to people about the Lord, I make sure I mention the name Jesus because God is too generic. Everybody's, you know, everybody's got a God of some sort today, right? God's become popular but Jesus still isn't at the top of the charts. So he, he, he makes sure I get Jesus out there because that's who we're talking about. We're not talking about a generic God. We're, we're talking about the Lord and Savior who transformed your life. Second thing, revelation. If you want to get there, you want to move in there. And I know a lot of you are going that way, but if, you, if you're stuck, this is how you can get there. You need revelation. Like Lorenzo had revelation with that scripture. Uh, let me read Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. Um, let me see if it will show up here for me. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The, a revelation of what? A revelation of God. That he will give you a revelation of of God is what he's saying. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of your calling. See what it is? Just the light's going off. Something happening that you understand God and who you are in God and what God has called you to is what he's saying, that you would have that revelation. The word revelation means to take the cover off. It means to, to make things known that were otherwise unknown. The word enlightened means to illuminate, make evident, to cause something to exist and become clear. 
Now, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Bible is living and active. This is not a novel. This is not the newspaper. This is not a storybook. This book, the, the words in this book combined with the words and the Spirit of God, they are alive. They are life-giving. They are life-transforming. They can take you from someplace and get you someplace you never dreamt you could be because they're alive and living. But so many people just read it as a novel, as a storybook, and they, they find it so difficult to read it because it isn't being combined with faith. It isn't being combined with the Spirit. You need a, a, revel, a spirit of revelation. Lord, show me. Speak to me today. Lord, bring something alive to me. And approach your Bible reading that way. And if it doesn't happen that day, try the next day. Try the next day. You know what happens one day? Something jumps off the page. And your life begins to get changed. Your life begins to get transformed. I want to tell you, just below the surface, as we read the Bible, just below the surface of those words that are covered by our human limitation, there is the life-changing power of God ready to transform you and take you into a greater place, a place you never dreamt you could live. Just right there, right there in front of you. You have a strong desire, ask God to make the word alive to you and speak truth into your life, you watch what will begin to happen. The third thing is faith. You, you can't please God without faith, the Bible says. These things, these, these, these things um, um, when these things begin to happen, you begin to see life differently. You, you begin to believe God differently. You, you begin to have faith for things you never dreamt you could have. But you want to know where faith starts and what you need to do? Learn to have faith and believe God for the everyday little things. And, and, and that's why I said earlier, if you, if you don't have the faith to come in and worship God, if you don't have the faith and the desire to know God and get here a few minutes early and pray and then have a worship time and seek him, don't get disappointed when God doesn't come through for you. It's not about, it's not about a performance, it's about a heart. It's always about the heart. It's never about the outer issue that we're looking at that we think it is. It's always about the heart. Always about the heart. Faith is a response to God that says, I'm going to believe it. It may, it may be difficult, but I'm going to take a stand. Even though my friends might laugh at me, I'm going to take a stand because I know that would be pleasing to God. That's called faith. I'm going to turn that off because I know it's not right. I'm going to obey God. That's an act of faith. I'm going to apologize to that person for what I shouldn't have done. That's an act of faith. Learn to obey God in the little things of life. And you watch how faith starts to grow in your life. And, and things begin to happen, and God begins to show up, and life begins to change. Let me give you the fourth thing you can do, and what begins to happen. You get a vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says that without a vision, where there is no vision, we cast off restraint. Vision will take your life and move you into places, just unbelievable places. Vision will do great things for you. Especially, especially a vision that is bigger than you can accomplish. As a matter of fact... I wouldn't even dream of calling something a vision if you can do it in your own strength. I would call it a goal. A vision is when, 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 when God says something and you say, you know, we can, we'll, we'll build a campus down on Cumberland. After Cumberland, we're going to maybe build something and have a, another church out in Burlington and, and then maybe out in St. Catharines and, and maybe out there and, and we'll get that built and we'll do that. That's a vision. Because as I think of it I, I, and I say that, I think you've got to be out of your mind. How are you going to do that? But with God, all things are possible. Vision lines itself with God. And you become a person of vision when you move into this place and you start seeing yourself, you, you, you begin to dream big dreams. 
You're dreaming about things and wondering about things and, and believing that, hey, one day maybe I could be a campus pastor. One day I could be a C group leader. One day my marriage is going to come together. My husband's going to get saved. All kinds of things you begin to believe God for as you begin to grow in your relationship with God and in your faith. All, all kinds of awesome things you can begin to believe for. See, when you meet the God of transformation, you begin to live for God because you want to please him. God's heart becomes your heart. Now, here's, here's I'll finish with this. In, in that place, in that place, you take on the characteristics of God because you're, you're, you're living for God. You want to please him. You're, you're pursuing Christ-likeness. Now, what happens? Christ-like characteristics start to become yours. You become more forgiving. You become more faithful. You become more zealous. You become more generous because it's who he is. See, people, when they get to that third circle... When it comes time to give something, they're not saying, oh, I can't do this, 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 is, I, I, this is hard. Why do they have to? I'm going to find a church that doesn't, not, with no vision. I want to go somewhere where nothing's happening. <laughs> now, it stretches all of us, but see, people at level three, circle three, they're thinking, hey, this is going to be a stretch, but let's see what we can do. Let's see how much we can do. What can we give? How can we make this happen? How can we, how can we do something to help impact our city and make a difference? In circle two, they're thinking of, okay, I got, I got you know, 200 extra bucks in my account. I think maybe I could give 150 of that. So it's a whole different way of thinking. Again, it's not the amount of money. It's, it's the faith. And you get into level three, and I know and many of you, I, I look at our church, and I'm thrilled with the number of people I see that are growing in their faith, maturing, becoming people that are really doing something for God. And I just want to see more and more and more all of us get, get there, get to that point. Um, it's the place of fulfillment. It's the place where God shows up and does God things in your life, and you're, you just sit back and say, this is awesome. I can't believe this is happening when you get to that place. Like, I, I'm sorry it went a bit long, but this was on my heart. I wanted to get it out, to lay that out as a principle, as a concept, because you start living it. You don't, don't settle. Don't settle. God's got greater things than you ever imagined he's got for you. Don't settle Aim at, the, aim at the target. Aim at the goal. Aim at, aim at the thing that only with God's help can you get there. And I tell you, when God shows up and start, things start coming, and many of you know, if I said how many have had this happen to you, probably almost every hand would go up. Well, it's got to become something that happens to us repeatedly and gets us into that place that God's called us to. Amen? You with me there? Thank you for your time and your patience. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much that uh, you came and you died and uh, you... Uh, you offered your son. You were so generous with us that you offered your son to leave his home in heaven and to come and die uh, on that cross for us. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would touch hearts and lives. You would, you would put a fire in us. You would put a desire in us. You'd put a longing in us, Lord, that we would know you in a greater and greater and greater way. Lord, that, that you would just do a transforming thing that not only generosity, Lord, but all kinds of great qualities are going to become more and more evident in the lives, lives of your people. Father, we ask your blessing, your hand uh, on them, we pray. Lord, bring us to that place, I pray. 